Gang, I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible. I hope you brought your Bible. And take your Bible and go to, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, okay? If you don't have one, hopefully there's one in front of you. I think it's important that you bring your Bible or iPad or iPhone, whatever you guys got. I have a friend that's using an iPad, and I said, man, it scared me to death. I said, I guarantee you, as soon as I got up here and say, let's open our iPad, like the Wi-Fi would go out, you know. So whatever you got, open it, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, okay? We're in a series, guests, we're in a series this year on the subject on how to be successful spiritually, not successful in the world's eyes, but successful spiritually in 2013. And I've been just kind of going through a series of, of different topics, different things for us to, to talk about, and my challenge to our church, and as a guest, my challenge to you today is this that if you are going to consider 2013 to be spiritually successful, there's three questions at the end of the year that you're going to have to answer yes to. Question number one is, did God get glory out of this? Whatever it is, whether it's relationship, whether it's the business decision, whether it's job-related, whether it's school, whatever it is, did, uh, can I say that God got glory out of this in my life? Second question is, did those I love benefit? Did my wife, guys, ladies, did my husband, parents, did my children, children, did my parents, did they benefit from whatever it is that I'm wrestling with? And number, question number three is, did I show grace to the lost? Did the lost see grace in my life? Now, if, if we're going to be able to say yes to that, then there's one very challenging area that we must overcome, and that's our subject for today, and that is temptation. The fact of the matter is, and you know this, is that pressures come into our life. We know that temptations come. Now, we tend to think of it as sexual, okay? And probably temptation is more in that area, especially in our culture, than any other thing, okay? And so in the course of today and the things I'll be sharing, Obviously, there's going to be some references to sex and the sexual nature of temptation. But I want you to know that it's not just sex, okay? Temptation can come in a lot of different forms. It can come in uh, the desire to have things that you don't have. It could, be, it could come in the form of having such a, a battle to buy a car or a house or whatever that you find yourself deeply in debt, so deeply in debt that you really can't even provide for your family or you can't even function. So it's not just sex. It could be debt-related things. It could be things of the world. It could be pleasures of the world. It could be a lot of different things, okay? Uh, but certainly, uh, and, and we're going to see in our Scripture, 1 Corinthians, that, that sex is uh, a, a real, real problem for so many of us, okay? Uh, it's, it's those kinds of pressures that invade our space, that almost tear apart our peace and almost distracts and can even destroy our character. In fact, in some respects, giving in to temptation does that, okay? It will destroy your character. It will tear apart everyone and everything that, it, that you would say today are valuable in my life. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, dear people, we must come to terms with that. I think we must deal with it, and we must know how to deal with it. And so that's kind of what my heart, where my heart is today 
That's kind of my subject. We're gonna, the main verse we're going to be looking at is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, okay? But I think we're going to lead into it. I want to begin 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, and let me tell you what's in my mind. I, I don't want us to see ourselves as uh, a preacher on a platform and you in your chairs. So if you can somehow envision with me that we're in a classroom. By the way, Rich, what were you guys doing in your classroom today? Man, that was loud. It was fun. You guys were having a ball. It was, we were, my class was right below yours. There was a lot of fun going on up there. I want us to envision ourselves in a class, okay? And uh, this room has got chairs in a circle. And I'm at one place in the circle. That's all. I'm not a pay preacher preaching at you. I'm not so much a teacher teaching at you as I am facilitating a discussion, a Bible story, a Bible lesson that, that all of us need to hear today, okay? And the reason I want to start in, in chapter 10, verse 1, is because what Paul does is he writes to the church at Corinth, he uses the nation of Israel as an example. He calls it a, 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 an illustration, and he wants us to see what they came through and how they failed, what happened to them, as he builds to verse 13, which kind of pulls it all together. And I hope I can do that for you today, because you desperately need this. And I do too. Would you stand in honor of God's word? And we'll begin reading 1 Corinthians 10 and uh, verse 1. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Notice the word all so many times. All under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, verse 5 is pretty important. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, why would Paul write this under inspiration? Well, verse 6 says, all these things happened as examples for us. Why? Well, so that you and I, the church at Corinth, would not crave evil things as they also craved. And then he begins to delineate their sins. We're going to look at these. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. Number two, don't let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, again, he says this, again, I'll bring this out in a minute. Now, all these things that happened to them happened as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. And then he summarizes it with the word therefore. Now, because of all of that, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Those are words to us today. The moment you think it isn't going to happen to me, it happens to you. Okay? And then verse 13, which is one uh, incredible verse. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, God is faithful, 
And He's not going to allow you to be, be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, provide a way of escape for this purpose. You'll be able to endure. Father, in the next few moments, somehow help me do better than I usually do because this is so strategically important to the people that I love, to my church. And I, God, pray today that your Holy Spirit will burn, burn these verses into our hearts that we as a people may not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You know, gang, as you study Scripture, it's clear that not every Jew that came out of Egypt was a God follower. Yes, they were the children of Israel. Yes, they were the chosen tribe. They were the chosen people. But if you study Scripture, you realize that not everybody who came out of Egypt were followers of God no more than everybody whose name is on a church roll is really a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ. Okay, You need to be aware of that. Not everybody that came out of Egypt were God followers. Not everybody whose name is on the roll of Indian Springs Baptist Church is a born-again believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Don came to me when Don, uh, by the way, we'll be having a meeting next week. You'll see it in your bulletin. But Don came to me after Don came for a month or two. He said, Tom, I, you know, we, we, got, we, got a, we got a stack of paper this thick with names. And, uh, and I said, yeah. You know, he said, well, where's about 80% of them? And I said, you know, I don't know. Uh, but the fact is, not everybody who came out of Egypt were followers of God. Not everybody whose name is on the roll. This morning, you may, your name be on the, may be on the roll of Indian Springs Baptist Church. That means nothing with regard to eternity, dear people. All that means is you've been identified with a group of people called Indian Springs Baptist Church and a little dot in Brian Arkansas. It has nothing to do with where you are spiritually, has nothing to do with where you may spend eternity, okay? Now, what Paul is saying in these first verses is that there was at least two and a half million of them who were the chosen tribe that came out, and all of them had some common blessings, some general-type blessings. Everyone received divine protection, and you do too. You've got common blessings. Whether you're a believer or not, there are some common blessings we all receive. God has protected our country. There was a divine deliverance. They all made it through the water. There was divine leadership under Moses. Divine provision. And that's what Paul's wanting them to understand. I want you to, to look at verse 5, because I think verse 5 is very, very significant. He uses the word most, which is kind of an understatement. Most of them God wasn't well pleased. Really, actually, only two of them made it into the promised land, right? I mean, even Moses, because of his anger, didn't even make it in. So verse 5 is kind of, a, kind of striking to me. Nevertheless, with most, and most of them, hey, only two of them made it. And he says the rest of them were laid low, which is a picture of bones being strewed all over the desert. They sure had a lot of funerals in those years that they were walking around the desert. If you'll notice verse 6 and verse 11, twice Paul says the things that happened were happened to serve as an example to the church at Corinth. And also as an example because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It happened not just for the church at Corinth, but it happened for you and for you and for you and for me. Okay, The word example that Paul uses is a word that means not to influence, 
but to stamp. It's a word which means, and it's, the picture is to take a hammer and a chisel and to stamp this upon the heart, to make a major impact in our lives. And so what Paul is wanting us to realize is that what happened to the nation of Israel should be indelibly stamped upon our heart. And Paul says it's to be so stamped upon our heart that it ought to lead us not to crave. The word crave means to lust after, not to crave, not to lust after evil things. What is craving? What is lusting? It's desiring anything, anything that is outside of God's will for your life. So Paul says, look at what they did. Look at what happened to them. You do the same, you should expect the same. What happened to them? Most of all of them except two died. Do you understand today, my dear people, that sin destroys? Do you understand, America, that sin kills Do you understand that sin destroys the very ones that you love the most? Now walk with me, verse 7 through 11. Because what Paul does, he lists four great sins that brought the nation to death. And I tell you, I believe they are four great sins that are destroying the church today, not Indian Springs, the church of Jesus Christ today. And I am convinced there are four great sins, same four great sins, that is destroying this wonderful, God-blessed nation that we call the United States of America. Verse 7 tells us the first one. It's idolatry. Look at verse 7 with me for just a moment. Do not be idolaters, As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, stood up to play. Paul's using the example of Exodus 32, the golden calf. If you know the story at all, you know that Moses was called up onto the mountain and Moses uh, received the Ten Commandments. The Bible tells us he was delayed in coming down and the people grew very impatient. They rejected the one true God and so they called Aaron, who was a weak guy, and uh, they, he said, give me all of your gold. And Aaron told Moses later, well, I don't know. I just took the gold, I threw it in this thing, and out came this calf, you know, in that America? And, uh, and, and, and the Bible tells us that 3,000 people died. They made a God from their own imagination. You understand that? They made a God from their own imagination. And dear people, 3,000 of them died. Now, what is idolatry? Let me define idolatry for you. Idolatry is anyone or anything that usurps God's first place in your life. Idolatry, men, can be a job that you love and invest more in than you do in your wife and your children. Parents, idolatry can be children, can be your own kids that you love so much that you put more time and investment into them than you do God alone, you see. It's idols. What happened? Because they were involved in idolatry. And you name your idol, okay? I I like bow hunting, you know? I could be, and I probably am at times, especially October 1st. Uh, I struggle with bow. It can be an idol, okay? 
It can be, I don't know, whatever it is. But it's anyone or it's anything that usurps God's first place in your life. And an idol is worthy of death. And the Bible tells us when you study Exodus 32, 3,000 people died because they worshipped someone other than the one true God. Stu, it could be music. See. Verse 8 was the second sin. Immorality. What is this? Well, gang, you know what it is. It's on every page. It's shown on every TV, shown everywhere in our society today. The example that Paul uses here is Numbers 25, where the people of Israel led in, was led into harlotry by the Moabites because of sexual immorality. You know what happened? 23,000 of them died. 23,000 died. Dear people, I believe that immorality is America's greatest sin. And I believe it's celebrated today like nothing else. Okay? And yet it brings death. You see, I believe that immorality spawns all other sins. I believe immorality spawns abortion. I, and I have to tell you, and don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Don't lose my heart here. I think what happened in the schools are tragic. I, I believe that it just should should break our heart. It should make us fall on the face, on our face before God. How can we allow kids to be killed by crazy people? Okay? But I want to tell you, where is the voice against the unborn? If we're willing to stand and say, young kids should not be killed, and they shouldn't, why isn't the church standing up for the unborn, those who have been aboard millions and millions of kids who have been aboard. I believe immorality spawns all kinds of sins. I believe it also begins the homosexual direction of so many. Now I want you to listen to me. We ought to love the homosexual person. We ought to pray for the homosexual person. We ought to have God's grace given to them so they may understand that they're wrapped up in a sin that will cause them to spend eternity separated from God. But again, we cannot lose our position. That homosexuality is a sin before God. And those dear people that are wrapped up in it will spend eternity separated from God. It's all based because of immorality. 23,000 people died because of immorality. How do you know? How do you know if a, if a nation is turned away from God? Well, you look and see what that nation says about God, but you also, listen to me, you also look and see how that nation treats women and how that nation treats sex. Idolatry brought death. Immorality, guys, listen. Keep yourself at home because it breeds death. Paul lists two more here. And it's kind of surprising to me. Look at verse 9 because the third one he, 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 he lists is trying the Lord. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. 
The idea here is that they didn't trust the faithfulness of God in providing for them. They questioned his integrity. They questioned his intention. It was Numbers chapter 21. It was the incidence of fiery serpents. And basically, if you read that passage, you realize they just weren't content with God. They wanted more variety in their life. They wanted more spice in their life. They wanted to push the limits. But listen to me, God always has boundaries that He sets for His people. Within the boundaries, you can do whatever you want to do. You can live life to the max, and God expects you to enjoy it. Go for it. But you can't get out of the boundary. And they got out of the boundary, and they tempted God, and they tried God, and the limit ended. And many died. And many people have tried to push God to their own shame and to their own destruction. And Paul says, trying the Lord brings death. And then he lists the fourth one, which is really, really hard to kind of put into the same category as idolatry and immorality, but in verse 10 he does. Grumbled. They grumbled. Now let me, let me define that, okay? The word grumble means to murmur under the breath, stir with a, within a circle. It's kind of like when you tell your kids to take out the trash and they walk away. And you say, what did you say, boy? I didn't say nothing, Dad. I'm cool, you know. It's that murmuring, that stirring. That's, that's what it is. Let me tell you what it is. It was attack on authority, okay? It's when people reject the authority of God and God's way of doing life together. The example is Numbers 14 where Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebelled and led people astray from, from the leadership that God had inspired in Moses. Moses wasn't perfect. Moses made a lot of mistakes. In fact, Moses didn't even get into the promised land. But he was God's ordained authority, and they rebelled against that. And we have an authority problem in our nation today. We have kids that don't submit to the authority of a teacher. We have teachers that don't submit to the authority of superintendents and principals. And then we have parents that don't submit to the authority of, their, uh, of the teachers as well. We have, we have people that don't submit to the authority. God-given authority of our policemen. We want to do it our own way. We want to have life the way we want it. And there's a breakdown of authority, and it led to death. Every one of these sins, dear people, that Paul lists, you know what it happened? People... Died. You hear me? Young people, do you hear me? People died. Because you know what sin does? Sin kills. Sin destroys. Did you catch the picture what Paul gives to us? When you don't follow God's way, when you rebel from God's way, which is the right way, you're subject to death. And those you love the most are the ones who will follow you along the path and will die as well. Twice, Paul says, they're examples for us to pay attention to. Now look at, look at verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands takes heed that he, uh, that he does not fall. Now let me tell you what, what Paul is saying. He's saying, you better look closely. At this, in fact, the word "heed" is uh, as we get the at the root word, we get the word "ophthalmology" from it. And so, what what Paul is saying? Listen, you you better watch real carefully here. 
You better pay attention to what's going on. You better notice what's happening. You see, I, I believe the reason God led Paul to do this is because we would have a tendency to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God had done in my life what God had done in their life, I wouldn't do these kinds of things. I mean, if God had parted the waters for me that I could walk across, or if God had supplied manna to me, or if God had supplied meat to me, or if God caused water to rush out of the rock, or God gave me a pillar of fire at night, or, or some kind of direction during the day, that wouldn't have happened to me. Paul says, oh, we got something better than that. You see, we have the cross for all to see. You know, dear people, we still do what they did. Even though we know in history there was a man, the perfect law giver and the perfect law keeper who died on a cross for our sin. And we still do the same thing. Now, what do we do then? How do we handle? What do we learn from history? And that brings us to verse 13, which is my message. That's all been introduction, okay? But it's going to be quick, okay? Verse 13. No temptation. And I want you to put in that temptation what it is you're wrestling with. Uh, there is no, and you put it, you know what you're wrestling with. I don't put it in there, okay? None of it has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God's faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to stand, but with the temptation, provide a way of escape. Why? So that you can endure it. Let me give you three real quick things, and then we're out of here. First thing I want you to realize is that temptation is real. Don't put your head in the sand. Temptation is real. In fact, the word that's used is the word that relates to anthropos, which is man. So what Paul is saying, temptation is, follows after the manner of man. Temptation is common to man. It's common to everybody. It comes with life. So be aware of it. Be watching for it. Temptation is birthed through desire. Gang, listen to me. Nothing wrong with desire. What makes desire wrong is when you seek to satisfy the desire outside the boundaries that God has set. You understand that, don't you? If you're thirsty, what do you do? You drink. If you're hungry, what do you do? If you have a desire to eat, what do you do? You eat food. You eat good food. I'm preaching to the choir, right? Eat good food. Hey, you want to have sex? Get married. See? God's got a prescribed plan that he wants us to follow. And he wants us to know, Paul wants us to know, that this temptation, whether it be drink, eat, sex, whatever it is, it's just natural. It's after the manner of men. It's a common thing. It is real in your life. I'm going to give you a statement. Look at the, You need to write that down. I, I told our first service that the only thing that I'm really happy about the whole first service was that statement right there. When you satisfy desire outside of divine provision, then again, you step outside of divine protection. That's not rocket science. That's biblical. That's just the way young married guys, listen, if you don't get anything else, get this. 
when you try to satisfy any desire you have outside of the divine provision that God gives you, you're stepping outside of divine protection. You know what's going to happen? You're going to have hell in your life. Everything's going to go wrong, and you're going to wonder, why did it go wrong? Why is my marriage struggling here? Why are my kids rebelling here? Why is there too much bills at the end of the month? Why can't I make this money thing jive? Why is life just not working? Because when you try to satisfy desire outside of divine provision, you know what happens to you? You step out of side of divine protection. You get what Israel got. What did Israel get? Death. Death. Young husband. Death. Young wife. Death. That's what those examples showed us. They died. So first of all, know this. That temptation is real. Okay? Number two, praise God, temptation is regulated. Aren't you glad that God controls the thermostat? Aren't you glad that God's sovereign? Praise God, you know? He controls the degree of it. He controls the extent of it. He controls the intensity of it. Listen, dear people, man is feeble, but God is faithful. He's unlimited in time. He's unlimited in space. He's unlimited in knowledge. He's unlimited in power. You can trust God. When we started our preteen class, we decided we were going to take most of the year just simply with doctrine. The first thing we started was with was the doctrine of God. Theology. We spent two weeks on theology. We began to tell them what kind of God we have that we can trust Him. We spent a whole lesson on the omni-virtues of God. Omnipotent. Omniscient. He's unlimited. God doesn't have to have a watch or a calendar. He's unlimited in time. God's unlimited in space. He knows where you're at. He knows what your tomorrow is going to bring. He knows the challenges of a month from now. Because he's unlimited in space and knowledge. And he's all-powerful. Greater, the Bible says, is he that's within us, if he's in you, than he that's within the world. Temptation is regulated. And that leads me finally to number three. Temptation is removable. The word escape is a word for exit. And what I, what I want you to think is... Uh, I don't know if you go to the show. We go to the show sometimes. Um, you got to be careful what you go see now. But every once in a while, we'll go to the show. And, you know, and when it's over, my wife will elbow me and wake me up. And she'll say, it's over. Let's go. And uh, sometimes before the lights come on, we're getting ready to leave. Well, you can't see squat, you know, uh, except one thing, a red exit, you know. Let me tell you what the picture Paul's presenting for us. Temptation is so real that God in His sovereignty regulates it. But He always gives you a way out of it. There's always, in every temptation, no matter what it is, if we're thinking, if we're, if we're being sensible about it, if we're discerning what's going on, there'll always be a red exit sign 
that you can get out. Sometimes the pressure's so real, the red exit sign is flashing. But it's there, dear people. It's there. You know why it's there? Because God is in control of it. The next time you're tempted, remember, this isn't catching God by surprise. And if we'll discern God, if we'll follow God, He'll give us an escape route. There'll always be an exit this way. Now, it may be out of it. It may be around it. But I have to tell you something that struck me in verse 13. At the end of it, it, and oftentimes it's through it, the way that you may endure. You see that? The way is a pattern. Endure means to go through. Oftentimes, He doesn't get us out of it. Oftentimes, He doesn't get around. Sometimes we go through the temptation. And the reason He allows us to go through it so that we might can be those who give glory to God. That make it good for our family. That show grace to the lost. What a relief to know that God has set the limits. So don't short-circuit God and His best by your desires. Stu mentioned Lance Allworth. I mean Lance, Lance Allworth. Show you my... Lance Armstrong. How many of you remember Lance Allworth? Oh, some of you are old gray-headed too. Um, Lance Armstrong. I wasted three hours listening to his interview, you know. And I, I, I told somebody, I said, well, I was interested. I was hoping he didn't rat me out because I'm such a good bike rider. Uh, but I listened to that guy. And after all those hours of listening, here's what I said. I said, what a sad commentary on a human being without God. And the fact is, it's a pretty normal commentary, a sad commentary of a human being without God. And dear people, I'll tell you, I know that not everybody that came out of Egypt were God followers. No more than I believe that everybody that is on the role of Indian Springs Baptist Church is a born-again follower of Christ, okay? But here's what I'm here to tell you is this. That through Jesus Christ, and only through Jesus Christ, can you handle that which is real, which is temptation. And only through Jesus Christ can God be the controller of the thermostat. And only through Jesus Christ can you escape that which the enemy wants to destroy. I looked at Lance Armstrong, and I said, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus lived perfect. That's why Jesus died on a cross, young people. That's why He was buried and rose again the third day. That's why Jesus lives forever. And that's why Jesus Christ, when He becomes Lord of your life, gives you power over anything and anyone and the enemy that wants to destroy that which is most precious in your life. Father, I, uh, I want to thank you that I believe totally in your sovereignty. And God, I thank you that as your child, while sometimes 
the enemy seems to have such a, a push, even a pull on us. He's limited because you're sovereign. God, I'm thankful that even in the hardest times, there's a thermostat that's regulated by you. And there's a flashing red light that says, exit this way. Today, dear Father, there may be, there may be homes in trouble. There may be marriages in trouble. There may be lives in trouble right here in this room. And it may even be so, so tough that, that even the spouse may not know what's going inside of their mate. Oh, God, help them to know. If they're struggling, help them to know that the way out is through Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, God, I, I, I think I did what I'm supposed to. I don't know if I did the best I could. I believe I share what I was supposed to. And God, I pray these dear people today that you have brought here will do what they're supposed to. Because when we leave, it'll be the right thing. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.